Chapter Ten of the History of Miss Betsy Thoughtless, Volume Three, by Eliza Haywood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten contains an account of some transactions, which, though they may not be very pleasing in the repetition, nor are of any great consequence to Miss Betsy, would render this history extremely deficient if omitted. As Lady Mellicent has made so considerable a figure in the former parts of this history, the reader may perhaps now begin to think she has been too long neglected. It is therefore proper to proceed directly to some account, how that guilty and unfortunate woman behaved, after being driven in the manner already related, from the house of her much-injured husband. Mr. Goodman was advised by his lawyer to be extremely private in the prosecution he was going to commence against her, and by no means to let her know the secret of her criminal conversation with Marplus had been discovered to him. This seemed a caution necessary to be observed, in order to prevent her from taking any measures, either to invalidate the evidence of the witnesses, or prevail upon them to abscond, when the proof of what they had sworn against her should be expected. The whole detection of her guilt was designed to come at once upon her like a thunderclap, and thereby all the little efforts of artifice and chicanery, to which she doubtless would otherwise have had recourse, be rendered of no use, nor give the least impediment to justice. Accordingly, this zealous asserter of his client's cause went to visit her, as of his own good will, flattered her with the hope that her husband would soon be prevailed upon to take her home again, and lent her several small sums of money to supply her necessities, saying, at the same time, that when matters were made up between them and all was over, he very well knew Mr. Goodman would return it to him with thanks. This stratagem had the effect it was intended for. It not only kept her from attempting anything of the nature above mentioned, but also from running Mr. Goodman into debt, which certainly she might have done on some pretense or other, in spite of all the care and means that could have been taken to destroy her credit. It must be acknowledged, indeed, that acting in this manner was a prodigious piece of dissimulation, but at the same time it must be acknowledged also that it was abundantly justified by the cause, and practised for the most laudable end, to serve an honest, worthy gentleman, his friend and client, against a woman who had wronged him in the tenderest point, and who was capable of making use of the vilest methods to elude the punishment her crimes deserved and as a great author tells us, it is a kind of stupid honesty among no knaves to play upon the square. Lady Mellicent, however, was lulled into so perfect a security by her dependence on the good nature of her husband, and the tender affection he had always shown to her, as well as by the high character she had always heard of the lawyer's veracity, that she was more easy than could have been expected in a woman of her situation even though it had been as she was made to believe. She received and returned with her usual politeness and gaiety the visits that were made her by all those who thought proper to continue an acquaintance with her. She pretended that it was only a little family contest that had separated her from Mr. Goodman for a short time, and always mentioned him with so much kindness and respect as made everyone believe there was nothing between them but what would be easily made up. This was indeed the most prudent method she could take, not only to preserve her own reputation to the world, but also to give Mr. Goodman a high idea of her conduct, if what she said should happen to be repeated to him. She was every day in expectation that through her own good management 
and the intercession of the lawyer whom she now took to be her staunch friend all would be over and she should be recalled home when a citation to appear before the doctors of the civil law was delivered to her by an officer belonging to the court it is more easy to conceive than describe her distraction at so unlooked-for a turn she now found that her intrigue with marplus was discovered and that all she had to dread was like to fall upon her by that event her perplexity was also greatly increased by her not being able to find out by whom or by what means she had been betrayed she sent immediately in search of marplus whom since his arresting mr goodman she had never once seen nor heard anything of but all the information she could get of him was that he had been thrown into prison by mr goodman and after confinement of a few days had been released and was gone nobody knew where but as it was supposed out of england that his wife had likewise removed from her lodgings but whether with an intention to follow him or not no certain intelligence could be given as this unhappy woman therefore neither knew on what foundation the accusation against her was built nor what evidences could be produced to prove it she might very well be bewildered in her thoughts and not know what course to take yet amidst all these matters of astonishment oppressed with grief and struck with horror at the near prospect of approaching infamy she had courage and presence enough of mind to enable her to do everything that was necessary for her defence in so bad a cause mr goodman's indisposition putting a stop to the process she had time to consult with those whom she found most whom she found most qualified for the purpose her chief agent was a pettifogger or understrapper in the law one who knew all those quirks and evasions which are called the knavish part of it and as the extreme indigence of his circumstances made him ready to undertake anything though never so desperate provided it afforded a prospect of advantage so he had impudence and cunning enough to go through with it even to the hazard of his ears this man kept up her spirits by assuring her he would find ways and means so to puzzle the cause that nothing should be clearly proved against her but there was no opportunity for him to exercise his abilities this way for mr goodman's death soon after furnished him with another lady mellison was no sooner informed by spies she kept continually about mr goodman's house that his life was despaired of than they set about making his will the first article of which after the prelude usual in such writings was this imprimis i give and bequeath to my dear and well-beloved wife margaret lady mellison goodman the full sum of thirty thousand pounds of lawful money of great britain over and above what otherwise she might lay claim to as my widow in consideration of the great wrong i have done her through the insinuations of malicious and evil-minded persons which i now heartily repent me of and hope that god and she will forgive me for it then followed some other legacies to several of his kindred and those of his friends whom he had been known to have been the most intimate with but the sums to each were very trifling and did not amount in the whole to above seven or eight hundred pounds as every one who had the least acquaintance with mr goodman was very well convinced that he had always intended his nephew for his heir the pretended will went on in this manner item i give and bequeath to my dear nephew edward goodman the son of nathaniel goodman 
and of Catherine, his wife, late of Bengal, in the East Indies, the whole residue of my effects, whatsoever and wheresoever they shall be found at my demise, provided that he, the said Edward Goodman, shall take to be his lawful wife, Flora Mellicent, only daughter and remaining issue of Sir Timon Mellicent Bart, and of the above-mentioned Margaret, his wife, but in case that either party shall refuse to enter in such marriage, then that he, the said Edward Goodman, shall be obliged to pay to the said Flora Mellicent the full sum of five thousand pounds of lawful money of Great Britain, in consideration of the misfortunes she has suffered by the injury I have done her mother. This impudent piece of forgery was signed Samuel Goodman, in a character so like that gentleman's, that when compared with other papers of his own handwriting, the difference could not be distinguished by those who was best acquainted with it. Two persons also of the lawyer's procuring set their names as witnesses. Notwithstanding the flagrancy of this attempt, Lady Mellicent flattered herself with the hopes of its success, and on Mr. Goodman's death threw in a caveat against the real will, and set up this pretended one. On the other hand, though one would imagine there needed but little skill for the detection of so gross an imposition, yet Mr. Goodman's lawyer thought proper to get all the helps he could to corroborate the truth. The piece of forgery was dated about ten days before Mr. Goodman died. He knew that the elder Mr. Thoughtless came every day to visit him during the whole time of his sickness, and that Miss Betsy, at the time this will was supposed to be made, actually lived in the house and that neither of these two could be totally ignorant of such a transaction, in case any such had been. It was therefore on the lawyer's request that Miss Betsy was sent for to her brother's house. She answered with a great deal of readiness to all the questions he put to her, according to the best of her knowledge, particularly as to that concerning the making the will. She said that she had never heard the least mention of any lawyer but himself coming to Mr. Goodman's, during the whole time of his sickness, and that she verily believed no will but that drawn up by him, and which all the family knew of, could possibly be made by Mr. Goodman's orders, or in his house, and as to the article in the pretended will, relating to Miss Flora, nothing could be a more palpable forgery, because Mr. Goodman had offered five hundred pounds with her in marriage to a linen draper, not above six weeks before his parting with Lady Mellicent which added she is a very plain proof that he never intended her for his nephew all this time all the time miss betsy stayed the whole discourse was on this affair and she had no opportunity as the lawyer was present to acquaint her brothers with anything concerning sir frederick finier as otherwise it was her full intention to have done after the surprising injunction he had laid upon her of secrecy in regard of his passion and everything relating to him. End of chapter 10